<laughs> Hello. I've never a, seen this before. This that's the start of the podcast right that's there. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Oh, who are these two funky little bears? Welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. With me today, <laughs> I have Super Dylan. If you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Super Dylan or Dylan. Uh, please use she, he, and they pronouns when you are talking about me behind my back. Uh, I am a games designer, actual play performer, and general nerd who just is trying to have a good time and tell stories. Wonderful. And my first question to you is, when did you find out that you were not cisgender and why was it when you wrote Neverland? <laughs> uh, it was. <laughs> I mean, it, and that, that was like the beginning of that journey that journey which who knows where we're even at on it it i could be at the end of the road or there could be a m million miles outstretched before me who the hell knows um but one of the first things that made this idea kind of really come and hit me uh i've been obsessed with peter pan the book by j m barry for a really long 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 time I've enjoyed, like, the plays as well. I've enjoyed most things except Disney's adaptation, which I have hated since I was a youth. But the book I've always really loved a lot, and I've always loved it more than any adaptation um, by J.M. J. Barry or otherwise. And when I picked it back up as an adult and read it again – like after a respite, you know, how you like all of a sudden see things when you pick up a piece of media that you put down a while ago and you see all these new things that that you enjoyed but you didn't connect uh, at the time. And one of the things that I loved about it that I hadn't connected is that the relationship between Peter and Tinkerbell is so much more interesting than what any adaptation really presents it as. So like, have you ever heard the, the, one of the more famous lines from Jan Barry's Peter Pan is, you know, when the first baby laughed for the first time, the laugh broke into a thousand pieces and they all went skipping about. And that was the beginning of fairies, right? So there's more then after that about the fairy lore in Peter Pan is that like every little girl fairy gets like a little, uh, gets assigned to a little baby girl and every little baby boy fairy gets assigned to a little baby boy. And like, like they just like divvy up these fairies. Um, and then things then happen. So like one, they also sort of like as a little haha, -ha, they throw in this idea of non-binary fairies and they're like, and then there are these little sillies who can't decide which they are. So that's another thing that's written canonically, canonically into the book. For the most part, the fairies, the fairies divvy, divvy system is very gendered. And then immediately after hearing the history of fairies, J.M. Barry introduces us to Peter Pan, who was born a human boy, no fairy, ran away from home because he did not want to fill the role that his family was planning for him. And he found his fairy, Tinkerbell, who also did not like her role in society. Tinkerbell was destined to be, she's named Tinkerbell because she was supposed to, uh, she was supposed to grow up to be a Tinker Fairy. She was going to basically make pots and pans in Kensington Gardens forever. And she didn't want to do that. So she was like, yeah, small child, I'll run away with you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, kidnap children with you. 
Uh, sounds great to me. And and so she does that. So the two of them not having this like not having a good relationship with the assigned role that they wanted they were supposed to have. They both ran away together and made their own different thing. Pirates and guns. Uh, and, and then there's, there's more even, there's more. So like when we dig in, so like everybody kind of on, on its face, Captain Hook is quote unquote, a bad guy. He is a pirate. He's the villain of the story, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't do anything different than Peter Pan, really. Like he kills people. Peter kills people. The, the end fight with, with the Jolly Roger in the book is called the massacre of the Jolly Roger. It's a bloody battle in which only two people survive. Like it's it, like they're both violent, they're both unethical or at least morally gray. So they're not like moral opposites. So why are they antagonists to each other? And when in in some of their most famous dialogue, it's 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 made very clear that Captain Hook jealous of Peter, rejecting what he was supposed to do. He says it often that he's like neglected his responsibility, that he has he's being insolent. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. I had it's like when you like talk to older people and they're like, well, I had to work three jobs and do this. Like, why do you want fair wages. You know, it's like, it's like, well, I want something better than that, grandma. Um, So Captain Hook is like, you know, it was like everybody grows up and, and has to do this, this shitty, you know, job that we all had to do. Why are you exempt from these rules? I hate that you're being insolent Um, and hates Captain Hook because Captain Hook is the thing Peter fears the most, which is that one day someone will force him to grow up and become a man. Yeah. That's that's his biggest fear. Holy fucking shit. Like I'm uh, <laughs> you're <laughs> There's more. Right? We're so... at the start of the podcast. Like <laughs> fuck. There's more. Ugh. So All right, go. Keep going. So keep going. Peter I, I and Wendy it cute little childhood romance right no wendy's got a schoolgirl crush on peter that's true because that's part of wendy's story wendy is immediately described in the first like couple chapters of the book as the kind of girl who likes to grow up she's enjoying like the transition from childhood to adulthood she's starting to have feelings about crushes and hopes and dreams and stuff like that for the first time she's enjoying it all she loves it She's secure also in her idea that her connection to being growing up and becoming a woman does not need to be disconnected from her sense of adventure and her sense of wonder and all of that. So Wendy is is sort of the opposite of Peter Pan. She is excited to grow up. She wants to do it. And she wants to fight the adults who tell her she can't do it without having her imagination intact. Peter meets her. Peter does not express that he has a crush on her, that he that she makes him feel any sort of way. There's no there's no indication that he even likes her. The very first emotion that Peter expresses towards Wendy is jealousy. He's jealous of her name and how it sounds. And he's he's jealous of like like what she has in her life. Um, and that's why he chooses to take her to, to Neverland. If he can take her back, then he's won. Then he's really proven that he has the, the better life. Not her, who's going to grow up. 
Um, and when she later on in the story tells him that she wants to grow up, he's not upset by that. He understands why she would want to grow up. Boys growing up that bother him because they have to become men. And that is that is the worst possible future that Peter can imagine. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Holy shit. Um, okay. New record. New record uh, within... <laughs> I'm crying within five minutes of us starting this podcast. Um, I'm so sorry. And no, it's fine. So, I'm feeling it. We're keep going. So there's also a, an element, and I hate to speculate on this because obviously we don't know these things for sure. But J.M. Barry himself had a lot of speculation about his identity and his sexuality, you know, back in the day. Some for nefarious purposes. Some people had some mean and terrible accusations about him based on absolutely nothing at all. But the fact that he was married um, for status, he was married to a woman that he did not love for status, and that he, I mean, he he never had any other relationship that was successful with. And I just, and he also uh did not really like reportedly get along with his other colleagues in theater like he did not form uh you know the the close relationships that he was expected to um and so this theme of that that exists throughout the book that growing up and being forced to fill a role in society that was prescribed to you at birth is torturous is something that I think is something that came from his real life. Whether or not that has anything to do with his gender identity or his sexual orientation or what is not something I could guess at. But it does seem like that's something that subconsciously or consciously he experienced, you know, like and wrote that into this story intrinsically. Uh, so when I read it again as an adult who was bubbling with those feelings for the first time, all of a sudden the story took on a new and more vibrant meaning to me. You can't catch me and make me a man is a defiant position. It, it is, you know, it, it's a protest. And I think that it's a beautiful story because in the end he loves the Lost Boys, he loves Wendy, he defeats his enemy, he has every opportunity to go back to the world. And I think that in many stories that we would read, the protagonist would, and it would be written as a happy thing, but J.M. Barry sticks to his guns and that Peter says no and stays, is happier than everyone else except Wendy. He's happier than all of the other Lost Boys, all John and Michael. He lives his happier, best life with Tinkerbell in Neverland. And and I think that it's a more beautiful interpretation than any than than anything. And I love it. And I and and as soon as that version of this story latched itself to my brainstem, I've just never been the same. And I I, I can't let go of it. Yeah. Well. So I ordered Peter Pan on Amazon while I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm still crying. Um, yeah. Uh, Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I resonate so much with all of that. Um, I I grew up not feeling myself so. And uh, the entire reason I joined the military was trying to be more. Trying to, to, yeah. to, to condition yourself into that role, right? Trying to like yeah. 
bully yourself into it almost, or like at least have other people bully yourself into it. Yeah, I uh, I was in the Marine Corps for 13 years. 13? Yeah. Oh, bubs. Oh, my God. It was, uh, I was, and, and you know, what's funny about that is um, I started role playing when I was, um, when I was 11 or 12, when I got on the internet, right? Yeah. And Can I ask text, what your start was? Uh, mud like text based RP? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Okay, go on, go on, yeah. go on. And of course, I was like, whenever I would play man, I was never interested. Whenever yeah. I wrote stories, when I wrote creative stories, I would have like a masculine protagonist. But then because I didn't know what I was doing, all of the other characters were women. Right. Because I was trying to explore that. And yeah. I was trying to figure that out. And when I role played, I always, always played women because I was I was curious about it. And I didn't want to be mocked. And I, and I didn't want to, like, have somebody tell me to be more manly, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. Could, I could, I was perfectly fine, like, being a tough woman, you know? Right, right. Because, and that all, like, that starts to deconstruct in our heads, right? Like, there are plenty of cis women who are gender nonconforming, butch, maybe, more mask presenting, all, all of those things. So, like... So it's deeper than just like how you present to the world. It's, yeah. it's like really inside. I was just talking about this, but just for our conversation, you and me, I my when my when my girlfriend told me that that I'm beautiful and I believed her for the first time, I was like I bowled for like twenty minutes. Yeah. It's like what I wanted my whole life, you know? Shit. Okay. So, and then you started writing Neverland setting. <laughs> and then I wrote a Neverland setting because at the, yeah. you know, I, and and this is because of Avalon, who is my co-host on Femsplain and Queer Platonic Pillow Friends. We had done, you know, the first couple episodes of the podcast and Peter Pan kept coming up. D&D kept coming up because at the time, those were the two things that I was obsessed over. Um, and I just remember sh she turned to me one day and she was like, I feel like I feel like you need to marry these two things because you talk about them like a disproportionate amount of the time. Uh, and they were right, obviously. Uh, so I did, in fact, do that. Uh, it was my first ever experience writing a game. It was my one and only experience writing a Dungeons and Dragons supplement. Um, and it was a hit it was great and it, of course it got hate in in a lot of interesting <laughs> ways you know people are are very peculiar when they see something perceived to be feminine which i think is very interesting about how peter pan is is perceived it's perceived to be feminine so they were offended that it was being included in their dungeons and dragons or whatever but it had a lovely reception it was really uh it was really well well taken and I loved it and I'm glad that I made it and it sparked me to try branching out and trying other things. Uh, so yeah. it was a great experience, really. You know, I I hate I hate that I hate that for you. I hate that, that <laughs> I hate that yeah. I hate that that happens. And it's like, bitch, you don't have to you don't have to download it. You really <laughs> like, don't. You don't I have to. I, in fact, would prefer that you did not. <laughs> no, no, no if, you, if you have that many, like, 
you know, it's like just so weird because like sometimes when you post something that gets a lot of attention, you you forget the 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 bubble you're living in. Like I, I have I have been so cozy and living in such like a like diverse and radical queer community that every time I have a like viral tweet and I remember that like some of the world is still doing sexism, like normal, plain old, like yeah. regular misogyny. And I'm like, <laughs> well, we're we're like <laughs> we're on that. So- <laughs> <laughs> they're on that original blend they're original on that vanilla blend misogyny and i'm like oh my god we're trying to discuss like like actually deep topics over here can you not um <laughs> can you fucking graduate can, can you can graduate you- to a different school of thought yeah it's very interesting um uh, and illuminating and scary uh yeah. but but it was it was a it was a lovely experience and um and I'm very glad I did it. That's amazing. I I love that you did this. And I, I think that a lot of so here and here's my like perspective on stuff like this, like as a marketer and pursuing like what you're creating to be art and what whether it be like you as a performer or if you're drawing or if you're writing. When it comes from a place of like actual artistic like inspiration and you have to tell that story and you have to create that's like the stuff that does get recognized as like really powerful you know like mm-hmm. like peter pan yeah and it and it's um i think it's important to uh remember that when we're creating and um putting together projects or working with people sometimes you can get lost in like chasing analytics but like a lot of what yeah what we do is like creators or uh, artistic people we're like creating stuff to help build community and expression and like bring people together rather than exalt yourself well that that, that's such an interesting point because after i released neverland there was this weird pressure that i almost caved to um to do that same thing again repackaged like there was a, a a lot of people post and be like uh are you gonna do x childhood story next are you gonna do a D supplement based on you know christopher robin next are you gonna do one based on you know adventures in wonderland next that you like all these different things got suggested to me and for a while i was like wow you know the momentum from this is really great i mean it, it got me a lot of things that I appreciate, but I was like, well, I don't love those things as much. So if I made them, I don't think they would be as good. Like, I don't, I don't care about, I like it just fine, but I don't care about through the looking glass as much as I care about Peter Pan. Like, I don't think it would come out very well if I did it. So I didn't decided to pursue things that I felt genuine passion for. And like, yes, it's a little bit of a crapshoot in terms of like what will make money or what will get attention or whatever. And this is something, this is something, (laughs) weirdly, this is something, this is advice I got a DJ at the first strip club I worked at. Fuck Uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Teaching advice, let's go. Teaching advice from a DJ at a strip club. Absolute a uh, uh, dive of a place, but a lovely gentleman. Um, but I was nervous and I got up and he asked me what music I wanted to be played. And I, I don't know. I don't remember what I picked. I picked two like, uh, I don't want to say hip hop, but they were like pop slash hip hop songs that were top 20 at the time, whenever that was. And I picked those for my first set and I got off and he told me, uh, Hey, songs that make you actually excited because you clearly didn't know those songs very well you just picked them because they're popular you will perform better 
if you pick things that actually make you excited. Uh, and he was right. And so I, you know, I picked like, I picked literally like emo rock songs from the early aughts that like you would never think to be hearing at a strip club, but I made fucking money because I was feeling myself. It was like, it was like being in front of your, your, your mirror in your bedroom as a teenager. Like it was like, you, you kind of, you kind of feel like that same feeling of, of excitement. And, and he was right. And I, I never again will ever call um, any man that works in a strip club write about anything else ever again <laughs> but about on that yeah. one salient that one point <laughs> he, he was right yeah. uh, so I apply that kind of logic to everything if I'm not genuinely excited about it it's just not going to be as good what's it um let me guess let me guess what the songs were hold on oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was see. something by Evanescence. Oh, what, it, was it like the, the it wasn't religious bring me to Trump? Life, oh. but the, <laughs> it, it wasn't, wasn't bring me to Trump. life, but it was a do- another Evanescence song. Uh-huh. And, uh, was it My Chemical Romance? It might've been over the years, <laughs> over the years, I've danced all sorts of weird fucking yeah. shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. We could, I could also talk about strip clubs as a pathway to gender identity, um let's do it the very the very first and many of the very first non-binary people i met were strippers um that's where i learned the term non-binary for the first time uh and strip clubs are a place where like you just don't it's obviously not like presented this way but it is like a form of drag it is like putting on hyper femininity as a costume yeah. And there was something so exciting. It was like the like I I've never been like an overtly feminine person. Like I've never even you know in my younger years before I had any discussions with myself about this. Like I never I never was a you know a, a hyper femme person by any means. Putting on that kind of hyper femininity as a costume and playing a role for six hours. And then going home and taking it all off was a very like cool and like, you know, interesting experience. Like, and I actually enjoyed femininity when I was putting it on as a costume. Like I enjoyed it in a way that I never would enjoy, like, you know, dolling myself up that way and like going out into the world to just live and exist. Yeah. Like, but putting it on as a costume and playing this part and making up these characters that I would, you know, play and, and interact with people as like, and then taking it all off at the end of the night. It was a very like transformative kind of thing. That then also sucked, but. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I, you know, and you know, being a stripper isn't like, I assume like the best job for a number of reasons, but. Yeah. It's complicated. Yeah. It's a complex. High highs and low lows. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, uh, how long did you do that for? Mm, almost 10 years. Oh, uh, n- nine years, maybe. Actually. All right. So no offense. You look 18 right now. So like, I, I'm not, I'm an old bog woman. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, um, and I started on like the later end too. Like, uh-huh. you know, like stripping is one of those things like modeling where like most people oh. are, are like, like do it between the Politics. ages of like 18 and 24 yeah, and yeah, then they're yeah. done. Um, I started at 24, <laughs> oh. uh, as a way to, 
you know, support myself through a very, very uh, hasty divorce from a very, very ill-timed and and poorly decided marriage. Um, uh, Yeah. And so I was, I started doing it then. And then, you know, it was just like how I supported myself. All the many changes in life that led me to finally one day having a, a a semi-stable real job uh yeah. yeah and yeah no no sh- no shade nothing like that but you look fucking great like thank you <laughs> i'm 35 and i Me don't too. oh you, you were the same age okay okay yeah we're the same age you look lovely okay. you oh, are, thank you, you are lovely you know hrt is actually uh should be labeled peds they're performance enhancing drugs for sex workers so yeah <laughs> like, like I am de aging right now. Yeah. I've been on. I've been on for like fourteen months. So mm-hmm. um, that being said, yeah, and I I think I mentioned this before we started recording, but like I just started erotic play by post, and like I was like when I first oh. when I first put it out there, I was like, and this was like m- the result of like everyone everyone me getting every once in a while people like sending me a message or like being playful and being like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if you know, hey, hey, hey. and. I was just eventually like, okay, well, I'll put it out there that I'll do that if you put it in a request specifically. And then I got no bites. And then I was like, okay, well, what if I just post a game and see if someone signs up? And then I got signups after that because you got to like lead people to it. Yeah. But like people definitely like there's an avenue for that. Certainly. Yeah. It was just very empowering because like going over Mm -hmm. like, and of course I don't share details about clients or whatever, because they might be feel some type of way about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, it was just very, um, empowering to like go over like the kink checklist and like be like they're asking this of me that's makes me feel very good because they want that from me or like my interpretation of like what 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 i'm we're creating together in this like role play scene or whatever but um so that was interesting and fun i think yeah it is that is very fun i always think it's very special when when um i mean obviously there's there's many 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 gray areas but as a sex industry worker or adjacent if somebody trusts you in any way with a kink that may not be as mainstream acceptable it is a very very like poignant moment in time yeah it's a a very respected moment to me um For sure. Yeah, I that's, that's exactly how I feel about it. I'm like, wow, you're, there's a lot of trust here. Yeah, there's a lot of like, you've not only think that I'm going to be able to provide something in this sphere and have it be fun for you. But then also like you're trusting me with this. And, you know, we're gonna share that in a pseudo professional way. And it's also that way when it's like, we're in a like a non paid situation as well when you're with your friends or whatever but go on i'm sorry no no you're right but i was gonna say like even though it's paid like how many stories do you hear from women who like meticulously like clean themselves before they go and pay their waxer to like go like like you know like people still even when you're paying for a service like it doesn't negate the fact if that you may have shame over it so you're still it's still a trusting thing and i and i just always have a lot of respect for that in cases when the respect is also returned, obviously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Caveats. Caveats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, let's talk about Adamless. Speaking of like, <gasps> cooperative <gasps> environments in which we create yes, yes. together, please oh. tell the audience about Adamless. 
Oh, The Atomless is the best show on TV. Okay, so The Atomless is um, a actual play slash podcast, um, which is played in the Starfinder system in a homebrew universe by my friend Matt. I mean, when I tell you, like, Matt reached out to me as almost a stranger. We were, like, recent mutuals on... Uh, I was a fan of them on TikTok and thought they were the sun. They were a fan of me on Twitter, thought I was the sun, and neither of us were like were uh, comfortable enough to to actually speak to one another. Um, but anyway, they did reach out to me just over a year ago in DMs and made the pitch for this show. And it was at a time when I was so burnt out. I was really trying. Not that I'm not still trying. I was really trying to make gaming and AP performances a career because it was the pandemic and healthcare ruined my life. Like it ruined yeah. my mental health. It ruined me. And I was desperately trying to call my way into something different. Discord call that was absolutely. Um, <laughs> oh, I've yeah, never heard it that loud before. Okay. So anyway, um, so they pitched this to me at a time when I was like, I had been taking Every single show that I was asked to do, big or small, everything. I was taking everything. I was never resting. I was never not doing something. And I was just like that story from earlier. Half of those things were not that fun to me, but I was taking yeah. everything on. And yeah. I was giving half-ass performances. I was burning out. I was like barely awake at some points. It was like because I thought I needed to just say yes to as much as possible and just be yeah. there. I had then burnt out and I had stopped doing anything. And Matt's pitch for this show, it was fresh. It was the first time I'd been asked to do something science fiction. Uh, the cast list was exciting. It was people I like knew of at the very least but had had great interactions with um and enjoyed their content momo o'brien i had been a big fan of i had played in a one shot with andre and they were so much fun uh i had seen and interacted and played with werewolf feels a couple of times and we had had a great time so it was like i i at least knew everyone was good in like uh, and the the pitch was so exciting it was matt's homebrew and i love him always a big sucker for a homebrew they were passionate about it uh and we and I said yes to it. Thank God. I'm so happy because there was a part of me that was like, no, I can't do anything anymore. And I did. I said yes to it. And it has been such a wild ride. It's been so great. It's been one of the best stories I've ever experienced being told, being a part of. Um, and everybody loves it like so intensely, like which is so important. Like our group chat is us talking about our characters all the time, talking about the world, theorizing about the world. Like and the thing that's very interesting about The Atomless, so The Atomless is um, a science fiction fantasy. If you've played Starfinder, you know that Starfinder is not like true sci-fi. It's like space opera-esque, um, which I love. I prefer that to hard sci-fi. Um, and it is a very interesting, very fun system. It's by the same people who wrote Pathfinder, but it's not like just a sci-fi version of the game. It's very much its own existence separately from that. Uh, and what I think is the most interesting thing that we do is that we release it in two different, completely different versions. We release our raw 
unedited at the table actual play. So if you like to see all the, you know, like arguing about what we should do and like, you know, fudging the rules and like making jokes with each other and crosstalk and like if you like that part of actual plays, we release that. If that stuff exhausts you or if you just don't prefer it, the podcast version is edited to be almost like a audio fiction. So most of the dice rolls, rule talk, crosstalk, um, miscommunications, all that stuff edited down. Music and ambiance and sound effects are added in. And it is like about half the playtime of the actual play episodes. And it's more like a completed, polished story. Uh, both versions. I mean, I know people who I know people who are like ride or die for one version over the other. And I know people who like to watch like watch the actual play and then listen to the podcast or vice versa. Um, and I just think it's neat because we do both and they're both so different, um, you know, uh, and it's just a gorgeous show. Momo makes these incredible animatics out of, with our character art and makes like there's almost like a f- animated scenes in full because she is so like in love with the show that she makes basically fan content for it. Uh, you know, we've all made like our own fan content for the show because we love it so much. And that's that's the best part about it. Yeah. The um the show itself seems super cool. How like okay, can we talk about uh our mutual here, uh Nordine Ali? Yeah, of course. How is that person so cool? Oh, he's so cool. <laughs> he's so very cool. Um, at, he's got a great character voice in this. Um, yeah, it's like a very good, like, uh, like deep and and sultry character voice. It's great. Um, and he's playing like a little bit of a Han Solo kind of vibe in our dynamic. Um, it's a great character, actually. He's like, he's a rebel leader from a rebellion that was squashed years ago. And he's like on the hunt for like a cause to care about in this new world, like way, way past the rebellion that, that he was part of. Um, it's a very fun character. Very interesting character. Most of my experience with, uh, Nordy and Ali is, I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Am I saying his name correctly? Nordin Ali Kadir is his name. Yeah. Okay. Um, most of my interactions with him have been like as a sensitivity consultant. So that's a majority. And then also as a writer, we brought him on the vineyard as a writer as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're going to be on a project together, right? Yeah. And then also yeah. how to GM romance guidebook. Yes. So yes. actually he's involved in both. Pro- yes. He's involved yeah, in both yeah, projects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, yeah. very multi-talented uh, writing, consulting, performing, the whole gambit. I um I think it's it's sometimes uh strange because like the the way that I imagine like a place to be, right? The way that I in like I picture it in my head and if you I think about like TTRPG as like a street, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have like the building for each like major community or something, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many different people that even if you're in the industry and you are active every single day that you could potentially never meet. And yet you, I don't know, it's, I'm, what am I trying to describe here? There's so many really incredibly talented and interesting people that I meet at least one or two a week that I never knew. 
or had inter- never interacted with prior yeah. to. And then I go and look back at their portfolio is like 90 fucking things. And how did I miss this? And then all of yeah. these people know and like this person. Mm-hmm. And then we go to places like conventions and then it's like everybody meets up and then sort of experiences that community. Yeah. Um, it's such an interesting thing for me uh, coming out of the military and it's such a different vibe, I suppose. When you're operating the military, most of the time it's like you operate with like your semi-extended family like of 30 people and then you're connected to a unit that's got like a thousand people or 1500 people but mostly you just deal with like 30 people and Mm. those are the people that you see most of the time and then you might know people here and there and like go places and then see someone you haven't in like five years and then reconnect briefly and then leave again but with ttrpg i don't know with like the the structure of our lives in this industry is that we do our work and then in the middle of summer and then in fall and winter we go and we meet up with each other yeah. and then have a community event in person and then reconnect and everything. This has been my first year in it. So that's why I'm kind of stumbling through this right now. Cause I'm just like imagining this in real time. I think you're doing but, a great job here. That's, that's wild that it's your first year in this. You're, you're incredible. I'm okay. You're a pioneer. <laughs> no, I'm okay. Um, <laughs> I, I would not in the truth of it is that I would not um, be in the wonderful position that I'm in, um, making a living doing what I'm doing right now, if not for the assistance and help that other people have given me to both help uplift me and mentor me and help me um, in many more ways than one. Um, mm-hmm. It's very important for me to at, at least attempt to both recognize that and give back if I can. But um because I remember, like, for instance, like, if we want to talk about, like, at least briefly, in my experience, like, when I was first getting into, like, watching tabletop and starting on actual plays, I just tried out for a random show, I got into it, and that was, like, me trying it out, and then I was like, okay, I like this, so then I'm going to start learning more about how to do this, so then I learned, like, YouTube production, making videos, and then, like, being a content manager, and then I learned how to DM, and then I did all this stuff in the span of, like, six months before I DM'd on stream for the first time, um, I ran, um, one of the Candlekeep Mysteries, uh, like two days mm. after the book launched. And I did all this prep beforehand so that I would know as much as possible about Candlekeep. And then it turns out all the adventures, none of them fucking had anything to do with <laughs> Candlekeep. <Yeah. laughs> and then I, yeah, I ran that like two days after the book dropped. And um, yeah, it was just, it was just, it was just kind of a wild ride for my first year. And I remember actually I was watching like, I was watching uh, Off the Rails on The Welcome In. And that was yeah. one of my first shows that I really watched with that's a Sloan. great one to be your your one of your first. Oh, I love yeah. Sloan. Oh, yeah. I love Sloan so much. Yeah, I you know they make my heart very happy. Yeah, I cause sometimes I wish I was like living near Sloan so that I could just hang out with Sloan because the I fact tried that to Sloan left me for the West Coast. <laughs> it's bitter. Sad. My heart yeah. is bitter, bitter and angry. Right. But you get to stick it in their face when you ask them how much it costs them to get to the convention next time. I guess. But it's like, you know, New York City prices. I don't really get to boast about costs. Uh, You know, that's not really in my wheelhouse. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I love... I love Sloan I in so many different ways. I think so. Sloan has actually been involved in every single project that I've done in TTRPG. I'm not. Really? I'm not kidding you. Yes, That's every single a good business decision. 
good. I, I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. So, um, they're just good at. Yeah. Yeah. They're good at everything. I was on the podcast with um, Knox, uh, who's the creative director of Hunters Entertainment. Mm -hmm. And they told me, uh, I think it was like in December when we recorded like, hey, I just hired Alex mm -hmm. and Sloan. And I was just like, and on the podcast, I was just like, oh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the dream came true for my That's friends. <laughs> I love to I love to hear that shit and uh so there's there's a lot of people that that I interact with that just really are very inspiring. I think like Sloan is one of those people for me. I really get a lot of positive energy from Sloan's uh industry. I also I think this is such an interesting industry because like we we've whether you've been involved in it a year or a couple of years more whatever the industry not gaming as well, the game developing or whatever, but the actual play industry is like very Wild West. It's very much like still new. It's there's not really like an established system or way to to do anything. Everything is still sort of like in its infancy, uh, maybe maybe adolescence. I don't know, but it's all it's all Wild West. And so like we're all doing incredible things, uh, I think. I think anyone who is performing in, producing, editing, like I think everybody's doing a stellar job because you're basically like being a part of the invention of an entire entertainment industry that we have no idea what it's going to look like in 10 years. Like this is like we're we're on black and white TV right now we're, we're we're recording on a nickelodeon right now is what like that's what's happening right at this moment like it's it's wild and it's yeah. very cool and everyone who's doing it is 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 doing such a cool pioneership of a thing how was pax unplugged for you maybe my favorite one yet um uh and yeah i loved it i i have this is my what was my third pax unplugged i was pretty much my con time was very occupied for a long time because uh ooh, how honest do I want to be right now? Um because I was in a terrible relationship with an abuser who was also a loser, like in the biggest way. Uh and because he only did one thing. I only did one thing for a long time. So I I was on a con circuit that was like the same two cons every year. And that was all I could do like with my life. And it was uh, two cons in the East Coast that have since fallen apart because they were both run by a person who was outed for different abuse. Um, so I, I, I had a bad kind of relationship with cons for a while, didn't go to them for a bit. And then getting involved in this industry, like all of a sudden people are like, hey, would you like to do this thing at this convention? So it's like, ooh, all right, I have to reevaluate my my relationship to those kinds of spaces. And I feel very, very lucky that PAX Unplugged was one of the first ones I went to after that hiatus because it's like perfect for me. Niche, it's the it's only the things I want and none of the things I don't. A yeah. lot of cons are thing con. And while that's very exciting, it is very overwhelming to me. And I don't know how to find the things I like. Going to a con that is just tabletop and board game I'm like, wow, this is all right. Literally nothing I don't want to see. Incredible. <laughs> this is this is great. This is everything I wanted and nothing I don't. Um, and it's on the smaller side. 
while still being big enough to be like a, a lucrative and like exciting thing, it's not too overwhelming. There's always space I can go to hear myself. There's never a part where I'm locked shoulder to shoulder in a crowd and trying to plan my escape. Um, I hate crowds. So, yeah. So I loved it. I'm very comfy there in general. I've done work at PAX Unplug. Um, the the first two times I went, I was panel a panelist on a couple of panels and things. Um, this time, though, is the first time I've ever worked a booth at a con. And I know that not everyone's experience working a booth will be this way. I had the best time working a booth. I want to do it a million more times and I want to do it for Mythic Grove. I just had an absolutely blessed experience. It was great. Tell me Uh, more. Why? You like meeting new people? You like chatting with people and like showing them what you were like had that at the booth or what? I do. So do you know Mythic Grove, for anybody who doesn't know Mythic Grove, is Gabe and Elise's company, their, their RPG company. They just successfully funded on Kickstarter the Session Zero system, which is like a gamified Session Zero. Um, it's 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 just a gamified way to to source a session zero. It's very fun. It's very cool. And it it's very well done. It it's successful for a reason. And being a part of that booth was so I got to engage people all day, new people, familiar faces, being of like representative for my friends' creative work is so fulfilling. It's so cup filling to do that, to like be like, you know, like your friend's cheerleader. I mean, maybe not for everybody, but that's like something that's like very deeply like energizing for me. I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And because of the nature of what their game was, like part of showing people this was to like generate characters with people all day long and like get people to like tell me their thought process on making a character, like tell me why they want their character to be this way or that way. And I just think that's a fascinating thing to to, to pry into with people. And um, yeah, I, the most fun. And also like, I just felt like I had a home for the convention. Like sometimes you find yourself like, like just like wandering and being like, there's too many options. What do I I do but I felt like I it felt nice to be like oh this is my this is my place I belong right here with these people who I love and am endeared to and I'm impressed by and I just yeah I loved it I would do anything for Mythic Grove anything they asked any day of the week speaking of cool people Gabe's fucking cool Gabe's, <laughs> Gabe is so cool Elise is so cool all right, Gabe's cool. We all know that. Whatever. I'm done. Yeah, what, whatever, Gabe. Whatever. Yeah. Old Elise, news. Elise is so cool. Elise has like, is one of those people, you know, you meet someone who like, have you ever met someone who has like a thousand lives? Like every time she reaches into her purse, she pulls out a different part of her backstory and it's even weirder <laughs> than the last one. Like, like she, 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 she's had like so many different careers, like all of them interesting and all of them weird and cool. And like just has like so many different skills that are not related to each other at all. Um, and like are all so cool. She built she builds like minifigures because her background is in like set design for off-Broadway. Uh, and like applies that skill to minifigure and like and terrain design. 
I don't know, top 10 coolest humans of all time. Uh, super in- enthusiastic and creative and weird and wonderful. Um, and yeah, love. Big, big love. Um, and it was very fun to get to have a first, uh, a, like a front row seat to Gabe's stardom because Gabe is like not to me a tabletop industry celebrity. Gabe is like a celebrity celebrity. Um, and to see like the way people. <laughs> react to him in a public place like up front is very fun to watch yeah Um, and i'm sure exhausting and very draining for 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 him probably yeah yeah. yeah. but for for me it was just a delight i yeah (laughs) Yeah. i'm i went to gen con and i saw people doing that to abria and i was just like i was just like i that looks draining of course she's very kind to everyone oh she's lovely But at the same time, it's like you can't even like walk around and like enjoy the con for yourself at some points because it's like you just get mobbed by people. Yeah. Um, But I mean, like, you know, Mm -hmm. what what are you going to do about that? I don't know. I don't know what you can do. It's, you know, it's there's positives and negatives to it all. Right. Yeah. 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 I think uh, unfortunately, like um, maybe now we don't have to talk about that. Um, So (laughs) I'll just nah. Um, So. your indie designer work. Let's move on to that. <gasps> yes. Ah! Let's let's talk let's, let's talk, talk about, about the it. weird shit that you've made. Oh my god, so weird. I love it. I love it. I'm so I'm honestly, I love my indie games so much. Like it's such a fun thing cuz like I'm very critical of most things that I make. Um, you know, when I have to edit podcasts that I'm on, god help me, like the sound of my own voice makes me want to crawl into a hole um you know watching myself on an actual play i'm like who is that pod person get him out of here uh but for some reason that when i look at the games that i made my indie games i fucking love them i think they're great i really do <laughs> like every single one of them and like sometimes i go back and look at the earlier ones that i made and i expect myself to be like like cringing at it because it was so long ago i think they're great um, so I, the first, the first ever non D and D game I made was the Stardust one shot. It was, ba- it was literally, and this is like always what it is. Ginny D, a uh, 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 a thought. And that thought was so inspiring to me. And I thought it was so funny and so good. Um, I made a, I wanted to try to make a one pager and I did. So it's a Stardust inspired, inspired by Neil Gaiman's story, Stardust, in which you play the witches, the coven of witches, um, who are hunting for the fallen star in order to regenerate your youth and your power before it escapes. Um, you're obviously, you're not playing the protagonist necessarily or the good guy in this game, you know, in this version, you're playing, uh, what is in this, in the original story, the enemy. Um, but it's very fun. It's very simple. It's a, it's a like one stat kind of game basically. It's, and, and also sort of a bit, I wanted to make a game that was all D4s because I think d4s get a lot of hate and i decided that i wanted (laughs) to personally rehabilitate them right um and you know it's a little one pager it's not like hugely popular but it was cute neil gaiman retweeted it i'll live and die uh, oh my god really yeah um and it was i've played it a couple of times i've run it a bunch of times it's it's very fun and then i was 
uh, and then I was introduced to the the concept of solo RPGs, which blew my fucking mind. Wait, do I have it right here with me? I don't know where it is. Bad Boy right here, Sentinel. One of the greatest games I've ever played in my life. Uh, Megan Cross is an absolute love uh, and brilliant. Uh, and it broke my brain to, to learn that that was a, a thing you could do, that you could just have this kind of fun by yourself. And so I wanted to try my hand at that. And, uh, and so this is obviously a little bit of a parody on D and D it's just called and D, uh, and it's a solo RPG about a dragon named Andy. You, uh, are building like the life and experiences and the times, uh, that occur over the course of this dragon's life and death. It's very sweet. It uses a deck of cards. Very simple. It's prompt based game, prompt based journaling game. It's very easy. So my two first starts are very, very simple games. I didn't really try to like do I didn't try to like break any boundaries certainly they're all very like simple but the concept is kind of solid and it's I I think they're good I like I think one of my favorite things my favorite things I've ever made is they don't want you to work I like and I I'm gonna write more for this game one day whenever the mood randomly strikes me but it was definitely the first time I stepped outside and thought of something different. And it's a, a clickable RPG. So it's like a game you pull up in your browser and have up. Uh, and it's designed to be a game that you have up while you're supposed to be at work or supposed to be working, whether you're doing that in a home environment or an office environment. Uh, and whenever you need a distraction, you want a distraction, you are going to be justified because the game is there and designed to distract you from work. And has a bunch of different micro games all starring this mysterious fey creature who doesn't like that you are working instead of paying attention to them. And all of the micro games involve things that you would find on your average office desk. So uh, coffee mugs, post-it notes, um, you know, pencils, things like that, like all very boring office supplies. And yeah, I just, I love it. I think it's neat. I'm looking at it right now. This is cute as fuck. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so I, and I've done 23 more since then. And I just, I love them all. I love them so much. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I love it. It's just, my mind gets more and more full of wonder and chaos and ideas every time I pen to paper in that way it's great i love it let's talk about designing romance games because you do have a romance game here <sighs> don't you bottle and also where are you is a romance oh game and where are you is a romance all right so yeah. spin the bottle is not really a romance game i guess it's a kissing game but not a romance <laughs> game. Yeah. where are you is definitely explicitly romance yeah it's yeah uh and where are you is a like tense game this is actually mythic grove's first published game which i'm very proud uh i'm very proud to have been the writer for that um basically gabe you know gabe has like a thousand ideas every minute and then doesn't have time to do them all uh i see them just, on twitter yeah that's just how their <laughs> brain works so one day they dm'd me and they were like werewolf game where are you figure out what that is <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh i already know I got it. Yeah, I know what that is. It's, it's this. And they were like, okay, cool. Can you actually write that though? Because I will pay you. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So I I put a lot of effort into this one, um, a lot of time, more than most of my other games. Because I really like, I really wanted this to be like something interesting. 
And I wanted it to be a game that you could play solo or with people, which is, you know, to me at the time was something I had not explored the idea of. And basically the concept of this game is that, you know, you're out on a romantic excursion and in the middle of the night on the high of this evening, your lover is attacked by a werewolf and turned and they turn and they and they flee. And the journey is to over the course of the month until the next full moon to discover what happened to them, figure out what this new life for them means. And as you're doing it, write the history of your romance. Like what is like you're writing these memories and how they connect to your fears about what will happen when you find them. And then at the end, you find them and you get to decide the outcome. Like, are they going to, are they going to be able to come back to you? Uh, and if so, what does it look like? And it is, I, it's a very sweet game. What do you think is most important when you're designing romance uh, in a system itself? Um, well, cause I think romance means different things to different people. Romance has all sorts of different ways it can present and ways it can appear and, you know, no loves, no two love stories for real people ever look any different. You want to like, you want to open up the avenue for what I think is very interesting is the tension um, that occurs in a, in a romance, like the, because, te- and the tension is not necessarily, certainly not, you know, tension meaning like uh, a negative thing, like, like um, not necessarily angst. The tension when you're waiting for something to become what it's going to be. The yeah. tension of of anticipating yeah. uh, a first kiss or a second date or a, a confession or whatever. So just giving people avenues to to build tension between their characters, between each other, um, to build up to whatever the moment is going to be. So in this game, it's finding your lover after a major change in their life. They've transformed into something that you've never seen them as before. Are you going to be able to accept them? Are they going to be comfortable enough to let you? Are is your relationship going to be the same? They because they're different now. There's something different about them. So the journey is the tension of like what your relationship was and figuring out when you reach this moment, what it's going to be. Um, but there are all sorts of ways to build similar kinds of tension towards different romantic. Romance and um, telling romantic stories and horror stories are actually very similar. Before we run out of time, yeah, Dylan, yes. let's talk about what are you doing this year that you want to talk about? All right. Well, I mean, we talked a little bit about the Atomless, but the Atomless is, is got big. Uh, so if you have not listened to it, or watched it, we're gearing up to start releasing new episodes and new content, and it is all beyond my wildest dreams. So now is the time. So there's that. I am working on a game. I'm running a game jam right now called Winter Werewolves about cozy types of werewolf stories. It is ending at the end of this month, and Andre and I are working on a game together that is maybe one of my favorite things I've ever worked on. And when you see it, you're going to just flop over. It's so good. Um, So that's going to be releasing soon. Um, what else do I have? I have, um, 
a speaking of where so many werewolf related things. Uh, I also have another actual play with Nordina Lee Kadir. Also was on this with me. Uh, a live in studio recorded game of werewolf the apocalypse. That a- actual play series is going to be releasing shortly. Um, so look out for that. Uh, and what else? What else am I doing? There's more. I think I've hit the end of things that I can speak about, though. So that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Dill. Uh, Thank you. I, I super appreciate your energy. Um, we started out in the pits about Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> and now yep. we're leaving it on, you know, a hopeful, bright future. We are. Where not, neither of us has to become a boy or a no. real man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Barry. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And I think I'm going to hit the stop button. Thanks so much for listening to the Dollars and Dragons podcast. If you'd like to support me and more importantly, my editor who does all of the heavy lifting here, then you can subscribe to patreon.com slash it's Friday. And that is going to go straight to my editor. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.